Eat Yourself Better podcast is brought to you by Be Fit Food, where food is the first medicine. Our guest today is former Winter Olympian and director of Studio PP, Steph Pram. My rehab guy explains it like coming out of a first floor building to concrete. Wow. Because it was just from, from the air to the ground. Bang. Bang. Welcome to the Eat Yourself Better podcast, the show that brings you health and well-being news and information. And we chat with a range of amazing guests about their journey and all things health. I'm Jimmy Rees. You may have seen me on Giggle and Hoot over the past 10 years on ABC Kids, or perhaps you saw me attempting to dance on Dancing with the Stars in 2019. <laughs> Joining me, as always, is Kate Save, a dietitian, CEO of BeFit Food, Telstra Business Award winner and mother, and you may have seen Kate on Shark Tank in 2017. Well, let's get to it. Kate and I caught up with Steph Prem in Melbourne. Uh, we've got a former Winter Olympian in the studio. Ooh, although it's quite warm in here. We should turn the uh, air conditioner on to make her feel more comfortable. <laughs> I've got to, and she's also an expert in the health and well-being field and director of Studio PP. Please welcome uh, Steph Prem. How are you? Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. It is exciting to have you here, a former Winter Olympian. Please uh, don't turn the aircon is... on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm retired these days. I prefer I prefer the heater. Please. <laughs> good. Good. Okay. We do live in Melbourne, so it's up and down and all over the place. And correct. It's quite bipolar. The weather. When did you start? Um, when did you start on the track to be an Olympian? Uh, it's a, it, I mean, I'm very honest when I respond that I didn't grow up wanting to be an Olympian. Mm-hmm. Um, some people get a little bit offended by that, but I, I don't mean it offensively. I just I didn't grow up as a kid saying I wanted to wear the green and gold. It yep. really came late in life for me. Um, I found snowboarding and I found snow sports late in life. And when I say late, I was probably 13. Yeah. But that's very late to find a sport um, to then go on to do it professionally. But I just I grew up in a family that um, loved snow sports. And um, my, my dad took up snowboarding in the 80s and, and mum and dad had really taken to skiing late in life themselves. And I think it just became a, a fun family activity. Uh, it was by no means um, did I or my family ever think it would, would be something that I went on to do professionally, um, but it turns out it was something I was very passionate about and something that I um, loved and turned out to be quite good at, but maybe I just didn't realise it at the time. Mm. And um, we were really lucky. The ski school at Mount Buller used to bring in these international coaches for the winter, so we would have Canadians and Austrians and Italians and all these exotic coaches, and there was a couple of these coaches that would tell you know, the parents, oh, I think you're, you're yep. you know, kids have such talent, you should send them, you know, to Germany, <laughs> to Austria. Parents. And, you know, and, uh, you know, my parents still laugh about it. Like, who would have thought? <laughs> we just sent you away on this snow camp, probably because they wanted their own holiday. And they still joke to this day, they were very, very supportive of my sporting career, but they by no means ever thought it would go as far as it did. But they were happy that it kept me healthy, very focused and disciplined as a young uh, as a young kid and an early teenager and, and young adult. Um, and so they just stuck with the journey and, yeah. and were very supportive. And I, I honestly, until it wasn't until I didn't qualify for the Olympics um, in 2006 mm-hmm. that I actually believed I had the talent to go on to be How a How old were you athlete. then in 2006? It must have been tw- 19. 19. 19, so 20. From 16, oh, when did you find it? 13 to 19, yeah. you're visiting the mountain every winter. But when, when did you start going uh, over to chase the winter? I started chasing the winter at about, oh, it must have been about 16. And then I had back-to-back winters yep. for, you know, mm. nine, ten years. Right. Yeah, so I didn't see sunlight for a little while. <laughs> being uh, a professional snowboarder coming from Australia is kind of like being on the Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> at a yeah, young yeah, age. Yeah. Um, especially being a female in the sport, um, there was not a lot of support 
um, early on, even later on in my career, I was the only female to qualify uh, for the border cross for the Olympics when I did qualify wow. for the Games. Um, and there was always a male-funded team, but there was never a female-funded team. So I, I honestly used to just chase the tail of the boys. Yep. Um, I was very lucky that um, there's a lot of camaraderie in sport. Um, I made great friends when I started travelling and started doing these camps overseas when I was younger. Um, and I, I just made a lot of good friends on the Canadian and Austrian team. And I think they just thought it was funny that there was Australians <laughs> trying to do what we were doing yeah. originally. But then they really supported us because – that, that we we all we all had a bit of talent yeah. and we're all having a bit of a crack and and then they'd come out in our sort of um you know um southern winters yeah. as well so you know we could teach them to surf and they could teach us to snowboard right. and, and is it a bit of a boys sport was there a, very was much it? so back yeah. in the day I think things have really changed now yeah. and I think mm. you know people like Tora Bright have really put mm -hmm. um snowboarding on the map for people um but very much so back yeah. in the day yeah and the adrenaline and it's an action know, sport yeah, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day it was yeah. um border cross was never an Olympic event it was always an X Games event it yeah. was always an action sports event you know you'd, you'd only ever see it on like nine world of sport yeah, yeah. Mm. on a sunday morning or, you know it, you would never think it was going to go on to be such a, a well-recognized um worldwide event it's now the most watched wow. um, event at the olympics and just run Snow through border cross. cross for people who don't know what it is what is it yeah so border cross or as it's known now is snowboard cross for yep. for at an olympic level is the event where there's um Six people at a time mm -hmm. racing down a course. It's kind of like the motocross of mm. of um, snowboarding. So there's jumps and bumps and turns and berms, and it's a big obstacle course built out of snow. Yep. Essentially, where six people throw themselves down at 100 miles an hour, trying not to kill each other or themselves. Uh, and it's a race top to bottom. So you're mm. not judged on your tricks or um, your amplitude or anything like that, like you you see it's in the win. half. You gotta win. You gotta win. Speed. So it's a combination of a speed event and um a, and sort of a tricks event. Not yep. that you're judged on your tricks, but you're you're hitting jumps that are 50, 60 foot big. Wow. Um, you're expected to be travelling at speeds. The girls are going at, you know, um, 50 to 60 kilometres an hour. The boys wow. are going up to 80 kilometres wow. an hour. Gosh. So it's a bit of a multifaceted sport. It's kind of, um, you know, they say like all the rogues of snowboarding that have come from different events that come mm. together and throw themselves onto this um, this course. But it's a fantastic spectator event. It's something well, like I said, now people love it in the Olympics because I know. I mean, it's horrible, but everyone loves carnage, and there's yeah, lots true. of it. Um, <laughs> Your poor parents. The best bit out of yeah. Yeah. I know. Mum was always like, "You should have stuck with oh. ballet." <laughs> I much preferred it when you did ballet. Unless uh, there was some stacks in ballet, then people. Were like, yeah, true. Exactly yeah. right. It doesn't look as pretty in a tutu, though. Yeah. You know, it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot more effective when there's snow everywhere and there's coloured snowboards flying. And um, so, yeah, it's a mad sport to get into. Yeah. I was a racer. I trained as a racer for ten years, and mm -hmm. then. I um that was my background, and then I switched to border cross when it became an event. So you missed the team in uh, when you were nineteen. Yeah, and then you did that focus you for the next games? It did. I, I remember sitting down with my family and then sort of saying, "Well, con congratulations! You know, it's been fun." Mm, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think university would be yeah, good. It's time, for um, uni. it's time to settle down and come back to Melbourne and it's been a good life. Um and and it really I think for me it just gave me the kick up the ass that I needed yeah. to realise that I probably could be a professional athlete. And I I think as a nineteen year old as an as any age in life, it's yeah. really hard to like anyone says, follow your dreams or believe you can mm. be at a different level or do something extraordinary in life. And and qualifying for the Olympics is one of those things. Um, and to qualify for the Olympics, you have to be top 20 in the world. So, you know, I, as my dad always says, I really should have taken up golf or tennis. Um, <laughs> swimming would have been ideal. Yeah. But I can't swim, fun fact. I'm, I'm much better on frozen water. And it just happened to be the sport that I was good at. So um, I just thought I'm going to go again and I'm going to try again, much to the um, to the disgust of my parents at the time. But, um, you know, they ended up jumping on board and, and being very, very supportive of my sporting career. And fast forward four years later, I, I qualified for the 2010 Olympics. So. 
it was um I've still got that little letter on my wall. Amazing. Um, which if I'm ever having a bad day, I've got that, you know, you have you congratulations, you're a member of the Australian team and you've qualified for the Olympic Games. And I'm like, okay. how far out do you I wanna I wanna know this process. Do you know? Do you kind of know if you say you have to be top twenty in the world, are you sitting there going, Well, I'm I'm fifteen or whatever, I've made it? Or do you still not know? Is there a day? This is the cutoff day, this is the time you'll find out, or how do you find out? It's such a good question because I, I think people don't realise and I didn't realise you really only find out um about two, three weeks out before the Olympics. Really? Wow. So unless you know, unless you really are in that top five in the world, yeah, it's know. pretty untouchable. Mm. Um, you'll know, um, but your ranking changes quite mm. dramatically. The top ten's really hard to get into those top ten seats. So I was sitting obviously between the ten and the twenty mark, and you and you do f- um, fluctuate quite a lot. Also, it comes down to discretion of your country and how many spots they've got to enter into right. Olympic Games, which and, people um, don't. There's know obviously about. a certain amount of spots for boys, there's a certain amount of spots for girls, and there's a certain amount of spots for per event. So they can pick and choose. So it does come down to a bit of a, a, a political yeah. matter towards mm. the end. So if you aren't in that top five in the world, mm-hmm. and like my best result coming into the Games was 12th in the world, so it's, you know, yeah. you, you hope for the best. Mm. Um, so that's why I think that letter is so special yeah. to me yeah. because I, I was um, sitting at around, I think, 16th or 17th in the world when I qualified for wow. the game. So, you know, anything could have happened. You can. Uh, I had a concussion in the second last event before the Olympic qualifiers and, you, and your points count on every event and wow. you've got to c- keep continuing to collect points in the lead up to the Olympics. So if you miss an event, blow an ankle, do a knee, have a concussion and have to sit an event out, there's every risk that someone can beat your points and get in front of you. Gosh. So, so you're racing till the finish line. Yeah, People sitting in the office are thinking their job's stressful. That <laughs> sounds unbelievably stressful. And that, pressure, that, uh, full yeah. of pressure to keep performing and keep uh, attending and events. Cuss, but you've got to keep you yeah. know, moving through it. Do you that, actually, are you driving hard for four years from the moment you missed the first games? Is it Does it start straight after that's finished um, and you're driving really hard? Does it start kind of two years out, a year out? Is it is it only the year of the Olympics? What, how, what's the drive? Where does the drive start to get to that next four year? I would say gold? those two years out are yep. the most important because mm-hmm. um, those um, points are the ones that count the yep. most in, in the lead up because they do drop off. Mm-hmm. every two-year cycle. Yep. Um, but in terms of training and getting yourself in that top ranking, the first two years before that are really yeah. important. So mm-hmm. it's really about, um, you know, t- uh, tapering off at the right time. That year after that first s- cycle of the Olympics is m- when most athletes sort of disappear for a year, yep. regroup, find themselves, get fit and healthy in the gym, take a season off, might get strong physically, you know, mentally, emotionally yep. again, and then put themselves back out, back out to race. And feel free to not answer this. It's just a, a, something that just popped into my head and I'm curious about that as a professional athlete, how are you supported along that journey? Because there's four years of you obviously don't work. You have to devote everything everything to this. Um, how, how are you supported? Are you supported by the Australian Olympic Committee or uh, is it s- purely sponsorships or are, are you taking on work as well? Combination of all those things. I didn't have any support from the um, Australian Federation or government at the yep. time. There wasn't anything in place mm-hmm. back then. Um, it's changed a lot yep. since then. Um um, and I, amongst a few other females, were probably the people that really paved the road for that. But um, but definitely back then there wasn't a lot. Yeah. So I would work in the off-season um, and I had really great sponsorships. So it, it really I taught me at a young age to be marketable, yeah. um, to be able to work in the off-season. There's a lot of athletes that study in the off-season or yep. work, in, work in the off-seasons. So I was doing everything from retail to babysitting yeah, wow. um, to marketing. Billabong were my main sponsors throughout my whole career. Right. Fantastic Australian company that yep. just backed me most of my career and they would give me work in the off season, which was unreal. Awesome. So 
Um, that really helped me. Uh, it was very rare back then, but I had a wage from Billabong. Yep. It would be nothing now, but back yeah, yeah. then it meant the world. And um, and in the off season, I used to travel with them and, and support them on their girls' marketing tours and their, they used to do, you know, girls get out there tours, which was all about encouraging young females essentially to be involved in sport. So I used to have uh, an involvement in that and that right. for me was great. Yeah, I loved amazing. doing that in the yeah. off season. So, um, but you, you learn to be... Uh, to, to, to be quite multifaceted, not just yeah. good at sport, but yeah, you tend sure. to have to be good at other you things. You become your own brand. You have to be. Yeah, and these days it's so normal. Yeah. Yep. I mean, th- the funniest thing I tell people these days is when I went to the Olympics, when I was in the Olympic Village, social media was banned. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Crazy. Like oh. Facebook was so new That's back so then. Yeah. You know, so bizarre. I, had a, I feel so old. Like I had a MySpace account. Yeah, yeah. It was well, 10 so years I. on Saturday since I competed at the Olympics. Just wow, this Saturday wow, gone. Gosh. It was like my 10-year anniversary. It was bizarre. Um, and it makes me feel so old. But now it's a, it's a currency to have social media for, yeah. you know, for your sponsors. And that's your personal brand. Your personal brand. Too. And yeah. for your sponsors and to be able to do it. So it's funny how things change. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So um, tell us, so you've got to the Olympic Games and what happens then? Um, well, for me... I didn't get the result at the Olympics that I really wanted to get. I, I always say it was the most overwhelming, empowering, most exciting experience of my life. I, I loved going to the Olympics. Nothing will ever replace it. Um, and for me, I went into the Games really desperately wanting to crack that top 10. Mm. Um, I, you know, I do a lot of motivational speaking and, and I've had feedback before where people are like, you're not allowed to say, you're not allowed to go to an Olympic Games if you're not there to win. That's oh, not okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is really common feedback. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's an Australian thing or if that's a tall poppy thing or if that's just an that's just um a belief that people have that you wouldn't dare go to an Olympics without thinking yeah. you can't win. And it's by no means that I think I couldn't win. I think once you're in the top ten seed, anything can happen because it was yeah. an elimination event. My event was very similar to the Stephen Bradbury, which everyone knows that knockout yeah, yeah, yeah. on the ice skates. Mine was the same, but on a snowboard. So. Mm. For me, I really wanted to crack that top 10 um, and to be a top 10 athlete in the world and compete Incredible. for your country for me was my be all end all. And like I said, I'd had that 12th. I, you know, I felt like I was so you close. Were close, yeah. Um, and then um, long long and involved story short, we, we had horrific conditions at the Olympics. I'm by no means making excuses. Um, I'm just painting a picture. Um, but it didn't snow for three months in the lead wow. up to the game. So really? there was little to no snow on the ground. They were bringing it in in helicopters and sticking it on skate ramps. Oh so they were flying it in from Whistler <laughs> oh. and then sticking it on skate ramps. So you can imagine if you've trained four years of your life on natural snow mm. yeah. and you hit jumps and things at 60 kilometres an hour, you're used to how it feels yeah. under your feet yep. and how yeah. you do. And then you get to the one event where you know everyone's watching and you've been training for four years and it feels nothing like what you've been training on the in- your entire career. Mm-hmm. It's very daunting. Mm. Um, the biggest thing for me was remembering that everyone was in it's, the same position. Yeah, but still. And it, was still it can f- throw people off in different ways. Still. Like that must be just such a crazy thing. So frightening. <laughs> so mm. frightening. Um, so, you know, as I went to the toilet for like the eighth time prior to the event, <laughs> I was like, and I saw a lot of other girls lining up for the toilet like, wow. also. I thought, yeah. well, you know what? We're all nervous and we're all here yeah. to do our best. And my first qualifying run, I was in 11th. So I was like so close I could taste it, but I did a very safe run. And then my coach was like, that was pretty shit. Yeah. You're really going to need to step it up on the next round. Um, so I, I, you know, I really went for it on that next round and I, I could feel I had a lot more speed. Everyone had had a run at that yeah. stage. So the course was running a lot faster. The boys had done their qualifying runs. So there was definitely more speed on the course. And I thought oh, I had this. And then three, three, um, features before the finish line, I had a pretty impressive stack. Um, it was actually ranked number nine in the top 10 highlights the of Olympic 10. crashes. Well, oh, God. You made the top 10? <laughs> made the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> so I did get a top 10 result in the Olympics, guys. Um, not the one I was going for. Tell um, us about that moment because it's a huge moment in your life. 
uh, it's it's look it's it's soul crushing and it it it's really disappointing because you know I had my whole family there and I know it's not about that mm. but it's hard not to take that on board of when course. you are there and it's more just the expectation I mean I'm a complete A type personality anyway so I would always put too much <laughs> pressure on myself but it's that expectation and pressure you put on yourself mm-hmm. to do your best and perform on the day and 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 I think in an Olympic of Olympic event or any major event in life I think you you put so much pressure on yourself to perform on the day. Um, and I, I wasn't able to do that. So I was, I was, I've, you know, done a great deal of therapy since, and I'm very, very happy with my top 20 result in the yeah. world. But at the time, it was, it was yeah. crushing. It's like you said earlier, Katie, like you just, you have to keep going and you have to keep competing. And the Olympics sit in the middle of the season and World Cup finals were only weeks away. And wow. I wanted to finish off the season strong and well. And I tried to put the Olympics behind me. I had a few broken ribs from the accident. Mm. I'd had pretty severe whiplash. Um, but I kind of thought if I just give it a few weeks, I'll, I'll be okay where World Cup finals was. And I just thought if I could finish the season off well, mentally I could I could deal with that. It's not the Olympics, but World Cup finals could yeah. do it for me. Yeah. And if I could finish with that top 10, I just feel yeah. that would finish off that four-year cycle so yeah. well for me. Yeah, tick, yeah. exactly. Um, so it, it, it was actually um, – coming into World Cup finals where my coach and a few other people had said, maybe you're a little bit burnt out or maybe mm-hmm. you should sit this the rest of the season out. And you still got cracked ribs at this point. Or are they what were the ramifications or? of the of your stack? Um, well, you can it, – it, look, the stack at the Olympics was just ribs. Yeah. It wasn't until World Cup finals where I right. had my, my horrific accident, which mm-hmm. is essentially what ended my snowboarding career. Um, but it was just ribs coming into these into the World Cup finals and I just thought it wasn't that bad. And you can wrap, yep. you can wrap your ribs up. <laughs> Um, you know, I was training for this, the World Cup finals. It was the last run of the day before the finals that afternoon. And I hadn't hit this final jump before the finish line all morning. It was a, it was a horrendous 60 foot kicker or jump. When I say kicker, you, you know, you can imagine, um, like a big sort of wedge or yeah. skateboard ramp somewhat is the best way to explain it. And then there's a gap that you would, yeah. you would, ma- you would pass and then you would land on the landing. Yep. Um, and a lot of the girls were coming up short. A lot of the boys were coming up short. Yeah, wow. So a lot of the coaches were standing there. It was hard. Directing was a- athletes to yes or no, not to yep. hit this jump. It was difficult. And that's scary in itself. And so there's a choice though to hit the jump mm. on the run? Oh, sorry. No, when you're competing, when the, you have to. When the green light's on and everyone's on course, you have to hit it. You'll be disqualified. So if you you've don't got hit a few runs feature. beforehand. You do. On the day. Absolutely. Sometimes the day before. You would get to run the course a few times. It's too dangerous not to. They right. have to let yep. people understand what speed they need to be taking into these features. So it's not like you turn up on the day and they're like, surprise. Yep. You definitely get to run the course. Right. Not not too many times. Yeah. Um, sometimes they just let you walk down the side of the course yeah. or um, shuffle your board down the side of the course to get an idea of the measurements and the heights and everything else. Um, but you definitely get to run, to, run it yep. a couple of times. So this was my training run before the big event in the afternoon. I hadn't hit the jump. I just thought it's now or never. It's the last training run of the day. Yeah. I definitely don't want to be doing this when there's five other girls around me. Yeah. So if I haven't hit it on my own, I shouldn't be hitting it with other girls. And my coach was like, look, it's up to you. If you feel like you have the speed, then do it. Yeah. Um, what I didn't take into account was the fact that we'd all been pulling off the course all morning. So there was a big dent in the course for right. um, where we'd been stopping before the jumps. Yep. We'd all been pulling up short before this jump. Um, and that was causing a little bit of havoc. And I just think in the moment, like you said, I decided I'd made that decision yeah. to hit that yeah. jump. You didn't assess it as I you were going. Sort of pre-assess it. I just went, oh, I've got the you're speed. Right. I'm doing it. And it's a calculated sport to a point. Yeah. I've hit 60-foot jumps yeah. before, so it's not like you're hoping for the best. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I came around that last turn and I thought, yeah, no, no, I've definitely got it. I yep. feel confident. But I hit that kind of dint in the course yeah. and it slowed me down so much, but it was too kind of too little too late. Yep. And it sort of as I was in the air, I knew I was in trouble. And it was one of those moments where I thought, oh, I've got too much time to think here. And if you've got enough time to think in the air, then 
you know, I always say you've definitely been in the air for too long. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I just I could not get myself back around to a comfortable position. Um, it felt like the whole thing was in slow motion. Yeah. No, I'd never had anything like it before and I knew in the air I was in trouble. Yeah. Um, and as I hit the deck or hit the ground, missed the deck essentially, I came right. down on the flat part of the jump, not on the transition. Yeah. Um, you know, my, and my, my physio, my rehab guy explains it like coming out of a first floor building to concrete. Wow. Because it was just from, from the air to the ground, bang. bang. There wow. was n- no give in between. So. And you broke your back? Yeah, I broke my back in three places. I uh, did um, three or four vertebrae and did some serious damage to my pelvis. Wow. I broke um, another four ribs and obviously re-cracked the ones that I, I were already damaged yeah. from, from the event, the Olympics six weeks prior. Um, I did severe spinal whiplash. Uh, I already had a shoulder injury on that left side, but I, I blew my shoulder out again. I tore my hamstring. So essentially my entire um, left-hand side of my body took the impact wow. and it was kind of like severe spinal whiplash of that of a car crash or of mm. a severe footy accident. You know, my, my body, I'm quite hypermobile yep. naturally, so I just I just didn't take the hit well. Wow. Yeah. It's <laughs> just reverberated through my whole body. So that that was it. I didn't yeah. realise at the time. I didn't understand the severity of it. Obviously the adrenaline was yeah. uh, mm. was really, really bad at the time as well. And I, I um I was in a foreign country. I was in um, you know, Italy, so people were talking to me in another language. The yeah. whole thing was very, very overwhelming. Um, trying to just get to a place of stillness and, and safety po- mm. following the accident. And I wasn't allowed to fly home for almost two months because I was covered Gosh. in hematomas and they won't let you fly with hematomas yeah. and blood yeah. clots. Yeah. So. Just quickly, what was your recovery like? Um, How long did it take? About five years, wow. um, all in all. Um, I, was, I, was, I was never not walking. I yep. was um, bit on bed rest for a long time, mm-hmm. but um, I was, I've had many small surgeries and I've just done, I guess, essentially rehab for years and years, I, I am part of my problem in terms of how, the length of my rehab because coming back to that push hard personality, yeah. I was I was really determined to get back. So um, it helped me through the rehab, but it made me push harder. And sometimes I would push too much, not knowing my limits, and yeah. I'd have had, had a lot of setbacks. Yeah, mm. two steps, you know, one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back for years. So that mentally probably affected me more than it did physically. Um, and just the combination, I think, of the mental challenges and the physical challenges of the rehab were were a five year battle. Wow! And so now, I guess you do a lot of motivational talks. And so, what do you specialize in? What you were in your head for a lot of this time, I guess. If you yeah. weren't using your body, you were in your head. And exactly, how did you get through this? And what are your learnings? I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I think I was born with a very um, you know, excessive case of enthusiasm anyway. (laughs) Very rare and excessive case of optimism and enthusiasm. So I lived in denial when I was in my head for that long time. I was very much in a space of denial too, of not wanting to understand how bad the injury was. And and there's, you know, there's there's it's a two edged it's a double sided sword because some of it was great and it helped me get out of bed every day and do the rehab and do the work and be like, it's all good. I'm gonna be back in no time, guys. Um, but the other side of that was that two steps back and how physically I just wasn't recovering, which then mentally had a big overflow. So I, I guess I um I started to delve deep onto more wellness and more yeah. of a nurturing um, side of exercise and well-being because all I knew was training 60 hours a week as an athlete and pushing yeah. myself. And I used to throw myself out of helicopters and go heli skiing and do action sports <laughs> and to being not being able to get through a 20-minute Pilates session, rehab session, without a great deal of pain. Um, so look, it changed my level of empathy. It changed my level of understanding of pain management. It changed my way, my my levels of gratitude and understanding of what our bodies are capable of. Like yeah. as a young athlete, I I didn't understand any of that. 
Um, so, I, you know, I had, to, I had to learn a lot about that. I had to learn to really be a lot more headstrong. And I had a, had a fantastic sports psychologist that I worked with throughout that I think really helped me walk away from sport and into a different field. And I, I never forget the day that she, that I, I really contemplated stepping away from sport because in my head for probably two or three of those years, I thought I was going to come back for the Sochi yeah. Olympics. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it helped in yeah. a lot of other ways, um, but it was detrimental in a lot of other ways, you know, um, because I just, I wasn't going to be able to. I tried, but it was yeah. crushing when I did try to put myself back on a snowboard with them. And what is a day in your life like? Tell us, you know, for our listeners. So what does Steppy Prem do in a day? Oh, goodness. <laughs> with all of up? your energy. Start? When do you wake up? When does the alarm go off or do you wake uh, not uh, naturally? <laughs> I am, I'm actually not an early riser, which people think is so ironic but my alarm goes off um, at about 5.15. Yep. I start at the studio at 6 to 6.30 depending mm-hmm. on w- when my first booking is or my first client. Um, I'm still on the floor a lot. I work in my business and on my business mm-hmm. so I still do a lot of clients that have been with me for you know seven, eight years that I haven't been able to let go of but I love people and I love human interaction so I'm still on the floor a lot. So a lot of the mornings are spent teaching um, sort of that 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock sort of time of the morning. Um, I try to slip in a smoothie somewhere between my first um, two to three clients um, and then I'll do another sort of two to three clients and then I'll try to have lunch squeezed in there sometimes. The girls at, at work have started putting little lunch breaks in my diary, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> which is really, really nice. Helpful. Very helpful. Um, I sort of, I've got three studios at the moment, so I tend to do two, two days at one studio, two days at another yep. studio and two days at my third studio. Wow. Um, but I spend most of those mornings teaching and then the afternoons I just are normally um, meetings um, or working on the business, on the business and the administrative yeah. side of the yeah. business or working with my team um, to make sure that it all, all keeps running um, and or then doing some of my work that I do outside of the studio, which is some speaking work yep. and, and marketing work. Um, so that's, I guess, an average day. Yeah. And then I, I love cooking at home, so Good. I try to do that. But I do insane hours. I, I, I've come off night shifts now because I just found it wasn't um, feeling very balanced. So mm. I try to do my heavy in the mornings workload do my meetings in the afternoon and knock off. Um, and then I have a freezer full of um, Kate's Be Fit Food soups <laughs> and they are like my go-to. I have frozen bliss balls and frozen soups. <laughs> so and good. so if I just don't have time to cook and, and you know, the reality is we don't, even as much as I love cooking, yeah. we don't all have time to do it. No. And, and it sometimes it, it can be an extra task, yeah. Yeah. something to do on that to-do mm. list and I'm the first to admit that. So I love the soups and the bliss balls. They keep me human and sane. <laughs> um, and and then I, you know, tend to do a little bit of work in the evenings yep. and try to just chill out and zone out in the evenings. So like music, um, you know, a lot of music, a lot of Netflix, yeah. um, a lot of admin <laughs> and attempt to um, wind down. What are you watching on Netflix? You know what? At the moment, <laughs> I've, um, I always need a tip. It's actually Apple TV. The, oh yeah, yeah. The morning show mm. that new Jennifer Aniston, oh, okay. and yeah, Carell, yeah. oh. that they just got all the awards for. Nice. I just, it, it's amazing. So oh, highly recommend. It's really, really, really insightful and clever. There's so much choice these days. I feel like it's a task, like cooking sometimes, to find something on Netflix or on and any the, of the streaming things. You sit there most of my nights. What What did you watch last night? I watched the menu screen going yeah. across and across oh, and across for half an hour, and then I went to bed. Yeah. You yeah. guys have to watch the Goop series What's as that? well. Um, so Gwyneth Paltrow has a wellness yep. brand called yep. Goop. I went to America last year and did her wellness summit. Um, it was like a, a three-day immersion and she's just released um, a TV show on Netflix awesome. about Amazing. it. So it's really given people more of an insight to It's so funny because people keep contacting me going, yeah, I think you'd really like this the show. Too. Like, <laughs> I went there, I did <laughs> I went there. I'm into yeah. it. I've been following yeah. it for years. It. It's very, it's really good insight into being, I think, a little bit more open-minded into holistic health and well-being and 
and and healing and what that can look like for people and 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 it's, it goes in the other direction too. But it's fascinating. Any other tips for professional athlete? Uh, you'll always be. Thank um, you. I'm yeah, far from it these yeah. days, guys. <laughs> Old and retired. One moment, uh, moment in your life, I wanted to ask you as well, which is sort of related, but there's a pivotal moment where you you gave up what you knew forever, mm. um, and then you just went on this other track. What's that? What's that? What's the piece of piece of advice for people who are sort of similarly going through something, or even just to take on on every day? I mean, I dive in. Essentially, yeah. you never, never know unless you never, never go. There's yeah. really something to that expression. Mm. I think so many people spend so much time um, and I meet with so many e- either friends or clients that have their own businesses or small businesses or startups that there's so much time in between where they're waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or contemplating, contemplating weighing everything what up. If, and, and yeah. You never know. So you just yeah. have to try and you yeah. have to dive in. I'm by no, I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the, the sentiment, I appreciate you saying it's I'm a successful businesswoman, but I've made so many mistakes in my business and I've learnt from from hard hits and I've learnt from making really, really bad mistakes in business too. Um, so whether they be with staff or whether they be with um, f- financial decisions or, you know, structural decisions around the business or you just really don't know. Um, so diving in is my first thing is it, is because everyone says, what's your secret? There is no secret. You just mm-hmm. start. It's like a health and fitness journey. Yeah. It's like when people come to me as a personal training client. You just have to start and you have to have routine and you have to believe in it and give it time. Yeah. And you just have to keep working hard at it every single day. And the, the greater that sort of failure too, the greater the glory on the other side when you get through it. And the lessons come from the things you lose and the things yes. that go wrong. The lessons don't the come from parts. the things that work out. So well, it's, it's like as an athlete, you don't win every race. Yeah. But you become a professional athlete essentially because you enjoy winning. Yeah. It's no different to business where you enjoy being successful and you enjoy the wins. So uh, there is so many transferable things, I think, from sport to now business. And when I am having a hard day, I relate it back to when I did sport. And, and you would have such hard days in sports where you wouldn't train well, you wouldn't race well, you wouldn't. things wouldn't go to plan. Things would be out of your control. So control your controllables. Work, focus on yourself. Stay in your own lane is something I always say, and I had to do that in sport. Um, stop thinking about and focusing on what the other people around you are doing or other businesses or other people in your life. Comparison is the theft of joy. Mm-hmm. So just stay in your lane and focus on what you're doing. And if you're working towards something, like Katie said, that will you know, there's the, that reward at the end of the day, then keep fighting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on as a guest and I think our listeners will be so inspired and I think you've been able to get into their heads and our heads this morning as well and there's nothing that you can't overcome if you just you give it a go and dive all the way in and just immerse yourself. I feel so grateful to be here and be um, alongside two very inspiring people too. So thank you so much for having me. Eat Yourself Better is brought to you by BeFit Food, Rapid Weight Loss Programs. Great tasting meals delivered to your door. Visit befitfood.com.au. Eat Yourself Better podcast is brought to you by BeFit Food, where food is the first medicine. <laughs>